Our topic this week for our Depressed People of the Bible seminar uh, is Ahab, King Ahab. Now, uh, controlled by others and desiring more. Now, I don't know what uh, a whale has to do with King Ahab, but when I typed in a search for pictures of Ahab, that's what showed up. So I don't know, I guess he has something to do with a whale, maybe in the Bible. I didn't read that part in the Bible, I don't know. But, uh, interesting thing with the, the, the Moby Dick story, um, that is very, very loosely based on a true story. Uh, diaries of uh, people, very few people who survived uh, a whale destroying their ship. Whalers going after this whale and he didn't like it. He destroyed their ship and uh, it sunk and they went on their life fast or whatever little boats and, and a few survived, most didn't, and they had their diaries. And it's from that that the whole story is based. Anyway, it has nothing to do with the Bible, but just a little interesting fact there. Okay, so before we get into uh, the, uh, the Bible of Ahab, the topic of Bible discussion of Ahab, Dr. Nedley is going to give us another two pointers of the ten, out of the ten hits that cause depression. Welcome to Let's Talk Mental Health, where we bring awareness to the causes and solutions of mental health conditions. I'm your host, Nathan Nedley. We are in our fourth part out of a five-part series dealing with the 10 depression hit categories. I'm here with Dr. Neil Nedley. Tell me about developmental hits. That's the first one we're going into today. Developmental hits has to do with how you were raised. If you were abused sexually growing up, you have a developmental hit. If you've had traumatic experiences growing up that you might still be suffering from, that's a clue that you could have a developmental hit. If you were raised in a dysfunctional home where you didn't know when breakfast was going to be served or was there set structured meal times, uh, was there transportation pr provided for school or you know, was there enough uh, healthy structure in the home environment. Uh, if there wasn't, uh, that could be a developmental hit. Uh, was there appropriate discipline or was there you know, more physical abuse or emotional or, or um, you know, abuse growing up in a home. And so these are all things we look at uh, because they do have an impact in regards to adult mental health and, and also, of course, teenage mental health. And so uh, this is a crucial aspect of causes of depression. This is dealing with things that happened during childhood, right? Correct. So is there anything that someone can do to kind of overcome this or? Yes, there is. Now, developmental hits are, you know, not as easily fixable as a nutrition hit. Right. Or a lifestyle hit. Uh, but there are important aspects of healing from developmental hits and breaking the cycle of abuse or those type of things and being able to reframe things. So this is why we have counselors in our program. This is where cognitive behavioral therapy comes in. This is where we help the participant to see whether it's appropriate guilt or inappropriate guilt. Uh, because sometimes they feel inappropriate guilt over things that they had no control over and that's not going to help them at all. And so uh, this is uh, the world of cognitive behavioral therapy and going back and helping the individual to be able to think differently now and not have those events of the past color everything in regards to how they see the world now. 
and how they can differentiate that. The, th the first three parts that we went into dealt more with physical things like exercise and diet and nutrition and those types of things. This is what you're talking about, cognitive behavioral therapy. This is the, the nitty-gritty thinking stuff, right? Exactly. So as far as thinking patterns go, are there clear signs that you know someone who's abused, they always have a certain thinking pattern, or is it much more complex that there can be a whole amalgamation of different thinking patterns that can cause problems? Well, it depends on the type of abuse. And so there are several different types of abuse, and how we treat those is actually um, differently. You know, for instance, there are some forms of sexual abuse where even though the sexual abuse was very inappropriate, it was very pleasurable for the um, child. Uh, and so that child had a tendency to hook up with sex addictions and inappropriate types of things, and that colored their thinking in regards to a lot of other areas. And then there are some where it was painful and it was traumatic, uh, and that would color their uh, world view of sex in a far different way. Uh, and so those are uh, things that we have to go back at and try to discover. And yes, there are, for different types of abuse, there are set patterns in regards to irrational thoughts that will tend to occur as a result of those different forms of abuse. And so we're going to recognize that pattern, be able to help the person recognize when they are prone to those irrational thoughts, and then how they can correct those thoughts. Right. And this wouldn't just be with abuse, but any of the developmental hits. Correct. Right. Yes. The second one that we're going to be looking at is social slash complicated grief. What is this, and, and what does it look like? Well, uh, we are social creatures. You know, it's kind of interesting that uh, in the uh, creation story we see every day that God said that it was good. But even before sin was introduced into the world, we have the words uttered from God, it is not good. And what he said after that is, it is not good for man to be alone. In other words, he designed us to be social and to have other people around us and to have that social affiliation. Many people with depression feel socially isolated. They might be around a lot of people, but they feel isolated. And I'll ask them when they come to the program, who is your number one emotional support? And it might be their dog, you know. <laughs> and they'll think, and they might even be married, and they might have siblings, and they might have parents, but they're not really close to any of them. And this is occurring with alarming frequency today because of the devices that are taking people away from family attachments. Uh, and, and, of course, other factors that can play a role in that, dysfunctional families and those sorts of things. And it turns out our brains work far better when we are able to have very close friends. You know, three to five close friends is all we need. And one of those might be a spouse, and one of the most might be a brother or sister. But if we have three to five close friends that we can be transparent with and that are healthy attachments, and helping us to actually advance in life in positive ways that are healthy for both parties, uh, that's a win-win. And uh, that's something that um, uh, we can help the participant recognize the value of and to be able to change their unhealthy social networks into things that are healthy.
What constitutes a, a hit in the social aspect? Is it uh, like if you don't have three to five close friends, is that a, a hit? Or is it... Is it may not be enough of a hit. In our testing, we have multiple things, and you have to have over a third of those positive okay. to show up as a social hit. But that would certainly be a contributing factor uh, if you don't um, have that. Okay. And then the second, is the, or the second side of this is the complicated grief. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing this has to do with loss or, uh, and I guess that could be loss in not only just someone that was close to you, but maybe something that... Um, could be loss of a job. Yeah, yeah, loss of a job, loss of a body part, if, I mean, it's yeah, terrible exactly. as that sounds. Right. Uh, yes, and so overcoming loss is a, an important factor. And if we're not going through the tasks of healthy grieving after a loss, we're going to get stuck and we're going to have this hit. And s grieving is not something that people do naturally healthy. I see. Uh, and so they have to be taught that process of being able to turn disappointments into appointments. If we don't go through the healthy grieving, our disappointments are going to actually take us down. Uh, where we can actually turn disappointments into appointments, even devastating ones, if we go through the tasks of healthy grieving and we can actually grow from losses. And that's, the, that's our goal and that's something that the uh, program that we have is very intentional about. Even our community-based program, we have a whole section on how to do this, on overcoming loss. Uh, we do in our residential program, of course, we have counselors as well to help with this. All of us, if we live long enough, are going to have some significant devastating losses. We don't know what they are right now necessarily, but it's good to know ahead of time how to be able to go through those losses in a healthy way. Very interesting. And obviously there's a lot to learn here and a lot to implement as far as dealing with some of these social factors and thinking factors. Thank you for your time. Join us next time as we conclude this series and we go over the final two points, frontal lobe and addiction. I'm your host, Nathan Nedley. This is Let's Talk Mental Health. As always, stay healthy, live happy. Okay, so those are some of the principles uh, brought out in the book written by Dr. Neil Nedley, uh, Depression, The Way Out. He's written a number of books. Um, and again, as he goes through the program. So if you're experiencing uh, clinical depression, I encourage you to look into the Nedley Depression and Recovery uh, and Anxiety uh, Recovery Program. Uh, they have the live-in where you can go there for, for uh, I think it's 11 days and go through their program, go through the various tests that he said, and meet with the counselors and go through very, very high success rate uh, in curing depression. Uh, they also have an outpatient where you can do it um, over the phone and through the internet in various different ways. So they have a number of different ways that you can participate in the program. Now, a couple of things that he, he mentioned, he mentioned about uh, grieving, grieving loss. We covered that a little bit with Naomi. Uh, we'll have two more topics, two more different people in the Bible that uh, experienced grief and loss as a result, um, and uh, how to go through that grieving process. Like he said, it's not natural, and so it's learning the process, and we'll cover that in, uh, with other, other people when we, when we get to that. He also mentioned uh, about um, that some people said that their closest social contact, closest social uh, friend was their pet, right? And, uh, and that, there's reasons for that, uh, you know, but that's not healthy, right? It's not good, uh, and that's not how God designed us, right? Adam and Eve, or Adam rather, had a lot of animals there, and they weren't enough, 
for him, and then God gave him Eve, right? And so it's not enough for us either. And like you said, the devices, we got all this uh, social media that gives this feeling. And so these animals, these pets, give a feeling of companionship, give a, and social media gives a feeling of having friends, uh, but they're not real friends, they're virtual friends. And they may be real people, but it's not the same as being in contact, uh, personal eye-to-eye -eye contact, uh, uh, seeing people live in person, uh, it's just not the same. Even, even a live stream or, or any other kind of, the phone might be the next best thing to being there, uh, or at least it used to be, but it's still not the same as being there. And that's one of the reasons that, uh, as you mentioned, family, but also congregational family uh, is very important uh, to be locked in and uh, attached in and involved in uh, with a congregation on a regular basis. Uh, for building friends and, and uh, building social networking, and to be a blessing and to receive blessings, right? To receive help when, when we each, like you said, eventually we all go through times of grief or various different things, uh, and we need support for that. And, but we're also blessed in being a support, right? And so being, so even, you know, you're watching online or whatever, you're never able to be a support to anyone, nor are we able to receive support. Might hear a nice sermon or a nice message or whatever, uh, but it's not the same as being able to be involved and used by the Lord in helping people and, and in receiving that help when we need it as well. And he also mentioned about the, the developmental uh, grief, um, using, uh, they use the cognitive, cognitive behavior therapy. And uh, that is vital, and that is much, much different than is typically done in counseling. Um, as the name says, cognitive, uh, making a choice, a conscious choice, thinking about it, and then changing the behavior, right? So it's a cognitive behavioral uh, therapy, uh, as opposed to counselors listening to you go over and over and over again, every horrible thing that ever happened in your life since the time you were conceived. And that's where a lot of counseling does. It just listens to this stuff, listens to this stuff, and the best they can do is blame some other person for all your troubles. And that is not healing. Because uh, uh, often those people, they might not even be alive or, or we're not in contact with them anymore. And there's not much that can be done about that. But we can do a lot about our thoughts and our actions. And so it's, 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 it's when those thoughts come back up. So whether it's uh, hearing their name, uh, seeing something, a house or a car or something that reminds us of them and our mind goes into that pattern, that spiral all over again and reliving that all over again, it's making that conscious choice to change the thinking and to turn it by God's grace, by God's power. It can take prayer and, and uh, the, the Holy Spirit to give us the ability to do that, to change that thinking. So then when they, those thoughts start coming up, we can thank God that God's made us through it, we're still alive, uh, or that uh, we can change the thoughts to start praying for that person um, praying for their salvation, praying that God leads them to repentance, um, uh, you know, just to, to allow God to change the thoughts into a positive way instead of going back into that spiral. When we're just counseling and going over it over and over again, we're just reliving it and the pain is then taking place over and over again. And that's again how most counseling goes and it's very, very ineffective. Uh, there's been no uh, research to show it's effective at all, but that's still what they continue to do. Uh, maybe in part because that's what the patients want to do. They want to, we want to just talk about it over and over again. Um, and we don't want to hear, 
Well, you can do something about it. <laughs> you can make some choices. You can change. And we don't want to be told to do something, right? We want to blame someone else, right? That goes all the way back to, to Adam and Eve, right? Uh, Adam blaming Eve, Eve blaming the serpent, uh, and then basically blaming God. And so that fits more with our carnal nature. Help me find someone else to blame instead of telling me what I need to do about. But it's the cognitive behavior therapy that actually works, uh, along with going through and finding out what are the hits that are and lowering the hit levels. Uh, that uh, is successful. And so that's what they focus on in their program. So let's get into one of the depressed people of the Bible. This time, uh, Ahab. And so chapter 16, verse 30, we saw a little bit last week of Ahab overlapping with Elijah. And so this week we'll see a little bit of Elijah overlapping with Ahab. And so Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. He married Jezebel, daughter of the king of the Sidonians. And that was a big problem, right? So uh, uh, it, who you marry can have a lot to do with, with your life. It will uh, dramatically affect our lives in many different ways. And there are two ways to make sure you never marry the wrong person. You think of at least one way that you can make sure that you never marry the right per wrong person. Don't get married. That's one way, right? Don't ever get married, and you will spare yourself a whole lot of grief. That's right. But God made us social creatures, and uh, God says it's good uh, to be married. So that's one way, but it's not necessarily the best way. And there's another way to make sure you never marry the wrong person. Never date the right per wrong person. That's right. If you never date the wrong person, chances are you're not going to marry him, right? It's pretty hard to marry someone you didn't date. It could happen. You could be drunk in Las Vegas somewhere. Maybe happen. But, uh, but other than that, uh, chances are you're not going to marry the wrong person if you don't date the wrong person. Uh, marry the wrong person if you don't date the wrong person. And so make sure that, uh, that they are the right person. Check them out ahead of time. But also make sure that you are the right person, that you are a per marriageable person. Uh, first, and that's a little bit what we're going to be talking about today as we look at Ahab and Jezebel and their relationship and how it affected them, how it affected all of Israel, and how it could have been different. So we saw a little bit about Ahab. He's very vacillating. Uh, Elijah comes to him and tells him it's not going to rain. He gets, Ahab gets angry. Uh, he looks for three and a half years to try and get uh, Elijah and, and, and punish him. can never find him. And then Elijah shows up at him again and says, okay, I, I want to meet with you and bring all the prophets of Baal to Mount Carmel. And instead of arresting him and executing him right on the spot, he says, oh, okay. And he, he arranges this meeting and he brings all the prophets of Baal up. So kind of, again, vacillating, hating uh, Elijah, wanting to kill him. And then, okay, uh, following him and obeying him. And they go up to Mount Carmel and God uh, does the miracle and consumes the, the altar and the sacrifice with fire. And Ahab's like, wow, that was amazing. And now he's kind of on Elijah's side. And, and he runs down and he tells Jezebel all that God did through Elijah. And, oh, wow, you should have seen it. It was amazing. And the fire came down and then it started to rain. And as it rained in three and a half years, it was absolutely amazing. And then they killed all the prophets of Baal. And Jezebel said, uh-uh. <laughs> and Jezebel says, I'm going to kill him. And I love this picture here where Jezebel's like, oh, no, I'm going to have him dead by tomorrow. And Ahab's there leaking in the background, hiding behind her, and oh no, oh no, you know, and so then he vacillates, and then he doesn't stop Jezebel, he doesn't say, well, I'm king, and I'm not going to let you touch uh, Elijah after all that God has done through him, and uh, he goes, oh, okay, and he doesn't say anything, and uh, so then 
Elijah runs, and we went through the rest of uh, that part of Elijah's experience. And, and then after Elijah went through that whole depression, all that we covered last week, uh, we see that he comes back in contact with Ahab again. And that's where we pick up the story this week. In chapter 21, 1 Kings 21, verse 1, Naboth had a vineyard which was next to the palace of Ahab. And you think you got a bad neighbor. <laughs> How would you like to have Jezebel and Ahab as your neighbor, huh? Not a pleasant situation, as we'll see. Verse 2, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it's next to my house. And I will give you a better vineyard, or I will give you its worth in money. Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. He doesn't want to do it. He doesn't have to do it, right? He's got free choice, right? It's his uh, property. He doesn't want to sell it. He doesn't want to trade it. He should be able to do that. And, uh, and there's probably good reason. He doesn't trust that Ahab is going to give it back to him at Jubilee, right? So even if he sells it to them or really leases it to him. It has to come back to Nabo's family and he doesn't uh, believe it's ever going to come back and we'll just have that money and eventually that'll run out. Uh, and, or if he trades him, well, the land that you're trading me is somebody else's and when the Jubilee comes about, I'm going to have to give it back to them, but you're probably not going to give me Belling back. And so he's, he's not going for it. He says, no, 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 I like mine. It's been in my inheritance. My parents helped plant these fig trees and, and, uh, and, 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 and vineyard here, and I'm going to keep it. Which he should be allowed to do. Ahab went to his house sullen and displeased, and he lay down on his bed, and he turned his face away, and he would not eat any food. Oh, poor me. Poor me. Naboth won't give me his vineyard, and he's all depressed, and he's laying in bed, facing the wall, won't look at anyone, won't talk to anyone, won't eat anything. He's having a childish little tantrum, tantrum there. And he's just laying there. And we don't necessarily know for how long, uh, but eventually Jezebel comes to him and says, why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? And he said, because of Naboth, he will not sell me his vineyard. <laughs> Poor me. Yeah, man, this is the king, right? <laughs> Unbelievable. And so, let's look at the ten hits again. And again, as we look at them in the light of Ahab, but also in the light of ourselves. So the genetic hit, we don't have enough uh, information about his family to know if that was an issue. Developmental, we don't have enough of information on him for that either. And uh, lifestyle, low exercise, Low sunlight or low fresh air. He might not as king. He might not have been getting enough exercise. He might have been a lazy king. So maybe that. Uh, circadian rhythm at this point, probably not. But we will see here that uh, it seems that he doesn't get out of bed for, for a little bit here. And so he might be just laying there sleeping this off for a while, which could uh, become a circadian rhythm hit. Uh, addiction. Bible doesn't say, but he does want a vineyard. And he's saying he wants it for a vegetable garden. Now, who would take a vineyard that's already planted, that already has vines growing, and cut it all down and turn it into a vegetable garden, right? <laughs> I think he wants it for a vineyard. I think he drinks alcohol. I think he wants more alcohol. <laughs> he might be addicted and in denial of his addiction. I want it for a vegetable garden. <laughs> he's planning, look at this, we can have a whole lot more wine for me. And so uh, alcohol, very well, King, very possible. 
a nutrition hit, again, as king, probably has a high-fat diet, high cholesterol, high-sugar diet. I wouldn't put that past him, uh, let him eat cake, you know, and so he might, might have that. Toxic, we don't know. Social grief, stress. He's married to Jezebel, isn't he, right? I'm sure he's got a lot of grief and uh, being king. I'm sure he's got a lot of pressure. Uh, no support system. I doubt anyone liked him. I mean, I don't even think he liked himself, right? Uh, Jezebel probably didn't like him. <laughs> no one liked him, he, and he probably felt that. Uh, he had a kingdom, and, and he killing the prophets, and I'm sure the people hated him, and he knew it. Uh, great loss. Now, although Nabal's vineyard is not Ahab's, he is taking it as a great loss that he can't have it. So he's grieving the fact that he doesn't have something that's not his. And we can do the same when we're coveting. Right? When we get ahead of the Lord and we start dreaming and like Elijah, oh, this is going to work a great revival. Even Jezebel's going to be converted. And then when she's not, he gets down in the dumps because it didn't meet maybe his expectations of what he was hoping was going to happen. And so we can paint our future in ways that's not according to God's plan. I'm going to do this. I'm going to have this career. I'm going to marry this. I'm going to have as many kids. And my kids are going to be like this. And when my kids grow up, they're going to do this and have this career. And they're going to love me back. And, and everything's going to be wonderful. And I'm going to get this promotion. And I'm going to get this uh, job. And, and I'm going to get this kind of house and this kind of car I want. And, and, and all kinds of things that we can be envisioning for ourselves. And then when it doesn't happen, we can get disappointed and experience grief just on, based on our expectation. It's become ours in our mind, and then we experience the loss when we don't get it. And so we need to not run ahead of the Lord, not to, we need to just take it one day at a time, as the saying goes, and just trust the Lord and be led by Him and not say that today and tomorrow I will do such and such, right? In the book of James it says, don't say that, but rather said, if it's the Lord's will, I will do or I will have such and such. Right? We need to be Lord's will, not ours, constantly surrendered to him under his presence, under his guidance, and not uh, dictating to him, not being gods ourselves and putting God into a box and God, you've got to do this. I gave this, so you got to do this. I prayed this way, and this, you've got to now answer it in this way. And we try and control God instead of allowing God to be God. And we want to be Lord. And that's not how he set it up. He knows better than us. He sees better than us. He's got a better survey of the land and of the history and of the future. And he knows us, and he knows what's best for us. And no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. And so by God's grace, God's power, we're walking uprightly, and he doesn't give us something, it's because it wouldn't have been good for us to have that something. Because if it was good, he would have given it to us at that point in time. Maybe he'll give it to us some other time, but if he hasn't given it to us now, and we're walking uprightly, then it's because it's not really good for us at this point. So that's the kind of social grief or, or grief that he's experiencing. Medical, we don't know. Uh, any history on that for him? Frontal lobe, low carb, high protein. Again, as king, eating a horrible diet. Very well could be. Uh, high TV and internet use. Uh, probably not, right? 
but as king he might have had a court jester and he might have had lots of entertainment although maybe not tv in the blue light uh shining in his eyes and affecting him that way but uh, too much excess uh, frivolity certainly can be a frontal lobe hit as well uh, too much sex. Well, the Bible tells us that Jezebel had a painter face, or she painted a face, so she probably was an ugly uh, dog, and so I doubt there was, uh, you know, she's in control of it anyway. Who knows if he's getting his satisfaction of sex level, uh, and certainly not, probably not getting too much. Uh, and she probably didn't let him have a whole concubine of, uh, of, of wives either, like David and Solomon had, so that might not have been a problem. Syncopated music, uh, low abstract thinking, acting against conscience. And so again, we've seen this with a lot of them, this definitely is a hit level for him because he knows uh, it's wrong. He knows he's doing wrong. He knows it was wrong for going against, uh, well, having the idols that he's worshiping and letting Baal in there and Baal prophets in there. He knows he's disobeying God. He knows he's leading the country in a wrong direction. He's had Elijah come and convict him and, and rebuke him. And so he knows he's doing wrong. He knows he shouldn't be listening to uh, Jezebel, again, he saw what God did on Mount Carmel. He saw what God did in stopping the rain for three and a half years. And so he knows that God is God, but he's not strong enough to allow God to be his Lord. And so he's definitely under uh, conviction with that. And so he definitely has that hit. And so we can see several possible hits that he has at this point. And when he hits this great loss of this expectation, it throws him over the four level, at least, and he goes into his bed and cries again, his face against the wall. That's why it's so important for us to keep the levels, the hit levels down all the time. Right, so as we see things, as we go over this list all the time, we see areas, and we can change, by God's grace, we can change all of them, except genetic and developmental, and like Dr. Nedley said, even those, there are things we can do to mitigate them and to offset them and to cope with them, even though we can't go back into our history and actually change them, we can change all the rest of them and keep them down under the four level. And that way, when we do experience a grief that we all eventually, as he said, Dr. Nelly said, we all will experience at some point in time in our life, it doesn't have to throw us into a depression because we've kept it down two, one, zero. And, and then when we do get that sudden thing happens, a loss of grief, we can cope with it. Okay, let's go back to Ahab, still 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 7. Jezebel said, exercise your authority over Israel. Arise, eat, and let your heart be cheerful, and I will give the vineyard of, I give you the vineyard of Naboth. So here she's kind of sending two messages. You're the king, you can do whatever you want. You're a dictator. You're a tyrant, go and just take the land, take the vineyard. You want it, go take it, you can do that. And he had the power certainly to be able to do that. She says, go do it, but then she doesn't let him do it. She says, I'll do it for you. And so we see this codependent relationship taking place. She, she makes him feel guilty and makes him feel worse because he's sitting there crying like a baby and she says, you're just a baby, you're, 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 you're king, you should be doing this, you go take care of it. I just lay there, I'll do it for you. And she never lets him grow. She never lets him even do, even if it's an evil thing that she's telling him to do, she doesn't let him do it. And so she's stifling him and suffocating him. And he's allowing it. He's okay with that. He's, again, vacillating. He's not willing to take a stand. He's not willing to grow a backbone. I can give you several examples. Uh, well, let me give you just one. Um, received a call. 
from this couple. They said that uh, they were looking for a place for their son to be able to do community service uh, because he got in a fight with his brother and uh, I guess the police had to come out and he had to do some, some hours of community service. And uh, they checked around some other places and they had him doing outside work and they, they didn't want him to sweat and get dirty and, and get hot and they wanted to know if we could provide him community services and uh, in an indoor air-conditioned uh, position. And so I asked if I could talk with the son. And they said, well, he's not here. And I said, well, what time will he be home? And they said, well, he doesn't live here. He has his own place that we're paying the rent for. I said, oh, really? How old is your son? They said, 44. So what is the son's problem? Okay, so what is the son's problem? You're on the right line there. His parents. His parents is his problem. That's his biggest problem, right? They're not letting him grow. They're not letting him launch. They're not letting him, right? They're, they're doing everything for him, right? And I got time to cut the way long before they you know, cut the cord, right? And send him forth. And so we do that. So we can do that to each other. We should never allow ourselves to be controlled by others. And that's a problem, right? That's his problem. He's allowing her to control him, to do everything for him. He's never becoming independent. And so there's this dysfunctional relationship going on there. So she wrote letters, letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, and sent them to the elders, saying, Proclaim a fast and seat Novoth with high honor. Seat two scoundrels to bear witness against him, saying, You have blasphemed God and the king, and then take him out and stone him that he may die. Ah. I mean, how low can you get? Ah. Send letters out, proclaim, and have them all boasted up, and have this big feast for him, and there he is seated, and all his family is there, and his friends are there, and he's receiving this high honor, and just puff him up and make him feel so great, and then just cut him down and kill him. I mean, how... Why couldn't she just, you know, make it look like he committed suicide like we do in this country? You know, I mean, you know, <laughs> why couldn't she just do something more sophisticated, right? Or more civilized, right? like we do here, right? Uh, just cut the brakes on, on his donkey, right? So he has this accident and goes off a cliff somewhere. Uh, make it look like an accident. Sophisticated way. But no, she goes through this whole scheme, horrible, horrible scheme. He says, hire these two scoundrels to lie and to falsely accuse him. Essentially, she calls them scoundrels. And why doesn't she say, just find two people who are willing to lie? She calls them scoundrels. So she knows it's, they're scoundrels because they're willing to lie this way, but she's the one who tells them to do it. So what does that make her? <laughs> if they're scoundrels for doing it, and she's the one who dreamed it up and plotted it and paid them and, and, and coerced them to do it, and she's even worse. And she knows it. At least subconsciously. She knows it takes a scoundrel to do that. So she hates herself too. <laughs> horrible. Horrible. Okay, his family there, seeing all that, and they were, they, were, they were all excited. What would that do to them? Ah, just wicked, 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 wicked. And there's nothing new under the sun. Human nature is the same. Hasn't changed. 
Unchecked power corrupts. Let me see it here. And Jezebel heard that Naboth, when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned, she said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he went and took possession of the vineyard of Naboth. So it says, when she heard, so obviously it took some time, right? That whole plotting, planning, getting letters written, they had to get the, the, the scribes to write the letters, to pass them out, to rent the hall, to get everybody together, to get them off their farms, get everybody out there, whatever long it took. A few days at least, right? Uh, to have this whole ceremony and then for him to be stoned and then the message to get to her that he's stoned. And so it took a little while and it seems that maybe this whole time Ahab has been laying in bed with his face to the wall and not eating because she says, now arise. And so he might have been just laying there in bed that whole time for days, not sleeping or sleeping too much, sitting there crying his eyes out because of his great loss. Verse 17, the word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, dun, 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 go meet Ahab in the vineyard of Naboth where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall say to him, thus says the Lord, you have murdered and also taken possession where dogs lick Naboth's blood, dogs shall lick your blood, yes, yours. Wouldn't you just love it that every time some dirty dreck did something like that to you, did some bad deed that God would send an Elijah to go and just rebuke him? Wouldn't you love to be able to just say that sometimes to somebody who did something bad to you? Well, your dogs are going to eat your blood, drink your blood, lick it up. Oh, you're going to get it. You just wait. Thus says the Lord. Wouldn't you have a thus saith the Lord to back you up and to let them have it sometimes? You know? God doesn't always just work that way for some reason. God knows. When he sent Elijah here, he tells him dogs are going to lick your blood where the dogs licked Naboth's blood. And people let dogs lick their face. Isn't that gross? Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable society we live in. When I was a kid, dogs slept in a dog house outside. <laughs> right? Not in bed with a human. <laughs> Times have changed. Huh? Dogs used to lick humans' blood. That's what they were good for. Go clean up the mess. Verse 20, Ahab said to Elijah, You have found me, O my enemy. Even though Elijah said, Thus saith the Lord, and speaking the Lord, Ahab is looking at Elijah, You're my enemy. So again, now he's vacillated back. You're no longer the prophet who brought fire down from heaven, the word of, by the word of God. You're my enemy. And Elijah continues, I have found you speaking for the Lord. He continues this, totally ignored it. Didn't let Ahab's words, oh, you're my enemy. He didn't let him sidetrack him. He stayed on track. Thus saith the Lord. He kept it going. Thus saith the Lord, I have found you. You have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. I will bring calamity on you and will cut you off from, from, uh, cut off from Ahab every male in Israel. I will make your house like Jeroboam because you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. And the dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Wow. Powerful. Amen, right? Amen. Let him have it. Give it to him. Now, why did God send Elijah to Ahab? Why didn't God just do that? 
Why didn't he just have the dogs lick his blood? Why did he send Elijah to go there? Exactly, right. Not just to make him feel worse, not just to, you know, grind him under, I'm just going to show you, I just want to give it to you, make you really feel bad. No, because he's hoping. Why is he, why is he hoping that he'll repent? You got it. He loves Ahab. Exactly. God loves Ahab. Yes, even the Ahabs in your life, God loves, and God calls him a murderer, right? He doesn't say Jezebel murdered and you were laying in bed. He put the blame on him for not taking a stand, not stopping Jezebel, allowing it to happen. It's an accessory to the crime. But God still loved him anyway. In this murderous, vacillating Weak, thieving, jealous, covetous king. God loved him. And God loves the people who've hurt us as well. And God is pleading for them as well. God wants them to be saved as well. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's what God wants for Ahab. God wants him to experience that free forgiveness, that free grace, and to accept his love and his invitation. And God can give us that kind of love as well. God can give us that kind of pity and mercy on the Ahabs that have hurt us and the Jezebels who have hurt us in our life as well. We don't have to allow them to control us. We don't have to allow them to manipulate us. We don't have to allow them to continue to hurt us. But we can pray for them and love them. And if God gives us a word to share with them or a deed to do for them, we can. Now, if God was able to see that Ahab had taken over the vineyard, and he really didn't have a right to do this because even if Naboth was dead, it goes to his children, right? So it's still not really Ahab's. He didn't just get it because someone died. He still had to steal it and take it away from the kids or the wife. They're still stealing it. So if God was able to see Ahab in the vineyard and tell Elijah, he's in the vineyard, go get him. There, is, there he is, point him out, go get him. I can imagine Naboth's wife saying, oh Lord, where were you a few days ago? Why didn't you send Elijah a few days ago when Ahab was in that same garden talking to my husband? Why didn't Elijah show up then and say, oh, no, 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 you can't let this deal go through. We're not doing this. Why couldn't you send Elijah to, to uh, Ahab's bedroom and say, Jezebel, no, we're not going to let you do that. Why couldn't you send Elijah to the meeting where, where my husband was being lifted up and, and praised and honored? And when those two scandals come, why couldn't Elijah come and say, thus saith the Lord, they're liars, and point them out? Where were you? Where was God? When we were hurt. When the scoundrels got away with lying about us. With taking and stealing from us. Murdering our loved ones. And causing calamity in this earth. Did God not love Naboth? Where was God? 
God is sovereign and God knows best. And that takes faith and trust to believe in him. Even when things don't go the way we think, because we can be coveting life just as much as Ahab was coveting that vineyard. We need to be surrendered all. Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And if the Lord allows us to die, allows our vineyard to be taken away, allows us to become a widow, allows us to become an orphan, God knows what is best, and no good thing will he withhold. And if it was good for Naboth to continue to live, then God would have sent Elijah earlier or some other way do something. But in God's great scheme of things, God has an eternal garden, an eternal vineyard for Naboth, which will far outsurpass anything that he had here on this old earth. In the new earth, he'll do much, much better. And for maybe Naboth's sake, if Ahab would have just pushed him aside and taken his vineyard, maybe it would have tempted Naboth beyond his ability and he might have been jealous and angry and bitter the rest of his life and lost out on salvation and in mercy God took him then. For whatever reason, we don't know. There's a lot of things we don't know. But one thing we do know, God is love. And he loves us with an everlasting love. And he loved Naboth just as much as he loved Ahab, just as much as he loved his son, and just as much as he loves you, and just as much as he loves me. And so God allowed it. He allows things to take place in this world and it's not necessarily according to his will, it's not necessarily what he wants, but he allows it and he will work all things out together for good. Even evil things, even horrible things, even things he does not want to happen, he will work all things out together for good. To those who love God, those called according to his purpose. As we trust in him and let God be sovereign and not try and tell God what he should be doing and shouldn't be doing. That's again where Elijah got in problems. And it can be, and where Ahab being disappointed he didn't get the vineyard. We need to trust God. And that takes enormous amount of faith. The Bible says God has given to each one of us a measure of faith. And if it's not enough, ask for more and God will give it to us. Faith cometh from him. And we can have as much as we need as much as we want, as much as we desire, as much as we ask for. We have not because we ask not. Now, why didn't God send Elijah to Jezebel? He sent him to, we discussed why he sent him to Ahab and why he didn't show up for Naboth a little bit and there's probably much more, more of that. And God has his reasons. Why didn't he send him to Jezebel? Never sent him to Jezebel. Didn't send him to Jezebel after the rain and the fire. Ahab went in and did the talking, not Elijah. And here, Elijah comes to Ahab in the garden, in the vineyard, not in the palace. Why doesn't God send him to Jezebel? Maybe God knew she wasn't going to buy it no matter what he did or what he said. And so he didn't bother. 
Not that God didn't love Jezebel. God loved Jezebel and was sending messages and allowed her to be alive this long through other means. But God knows. God knows what's best. So how did Ahab respond to this? When Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth on his body, and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. What does that sound like? Sounds like depression, sounds like repentance. Which one? I think it sounds more like repentance. And I know that because I read the next verse. <laughs> and the next verse says, And the word of the Lord came to Elijah, saying, See how Ahab humbled himself before me. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. Amen. Praise the Lord. God softened his heart, and he humbled himself, and he turned and received of God's love. And God responded back and changed the plan. Won't happen his day. I've seen his humbling himself before me. I've accepted that. I've accepted his confession. And God's heart was softened back. God's heart was already softened. Again, God loved Ahab first. God sent Ahab first. And then keeps on responding. As we respond, then God responds, and we respond. But unfortunately... Ahab doesn't re-respond here. Eventually, if you read the story, we're not going to go into all of Ahab's story. You can read all of that, how Jezebel's uh, blood gets splattered and how Ahab's blood gets splattered. You can read all of that in the Bible. It's wonderful stories. Um, but Ahab turns away from this great mercy that God poured out to him in generous love and turns back away from the Lord. But here for a time, God gave it. And it's interesting and we saw Ahab, when Elijah came to Ahab there in the vineyard and says, you're going to die and the dogs are going to lick your blood. He says, you're my enemy. But when Elijah says, and Jezebel's blood is going to be splattered on the wall, then the next verse is he's, he's then repenting. So again, showing the codependency. He didn't care so much about himself, but Jezebel, oh, my poor Jezebel. Oh, my dear Jezebel. Oh, our blood. Oh, no, no, no. And then he, it hits home. This God is serious about what he's talking about here. And, uh, and he repents. But again, he vacillates, and it doesn't stick, unfortunately. He made a wrong conscious choice again. And he turns from the Lord. So 1 King chapter 21, verse 25, there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. He behaved very abominable in following idols. So he allowed Jezebel to control him and manipulate him. Sad. And we should never allow anyone to control us and manipulate us whether a spouse or if we're adults, parents, or as parents, allow our children manipulate us and control us. There are people who let two-year-olds control them. There are people who let their dogs control them. <laughs> and their cats to control them. <laughs> we should not let anyone control them. There are people who let their boss, oh no, don't fire me, don't fire me, I'll do whatever. <laughs> 
Let their government control them. Let their minister control them. We should not allow anyone to control us. We can take advice. We can listen to counsel. We can take into consideration their opinion. But we need to check it with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit and then make our choice based on those three factors. The Word of God, the Holy Spirit impressing our minds and heart, and godly advice. And also, circumstances, situations, how are things opening up? What doors are closing? We need to hear God's voice, listen to his voice, and obey God. Let God be sovereign, to be dependent on God, not codependent on people, not controlled by people, anyone, or things. We can let our things control us. Our car control us, our, our jobs control us, our uh, mortgage control us, right? Credit cards control us. We become slaves, right? That's why it's called MasterCard, right? <laughs> That's it. Yep. Become slaves to it. We need to be allow God to control our lives. And one of the reasons we become codependent is because of insecurity. We're insecure, unsteady, unsure. And so how does society deal with that? And counselors deal with that? We try and help people build up their self-esteem. Build up their self-esteem. That's the big, ooh, build up their self-esteem. Tell them they're good. Oh, even though they came in last, even though they didn't finish the race, tell them they're good for trying. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for being there. Thank you for being alive. We're just so thankful you're alive. Thankful that you're breathing. Here's your trophy. And so we build them up, build them up, build them up. Tell them they're good, dysfunctional people, lazy people, criminals. Build them up, build them up, build them up. Oh, if, if, we, if they had just a stronger self-esteem, they wouldn't commit those crimes. But that's not what happens. What happens is we become proud. Build us up, we become proud. We think, I have a right. I had a right to steal that stuff. I shouldn't have made that mistake. Next time I'll do better. <laughs> I had a right to punch him in the face. I have every, you have no right to tell me. You have no right to arrest me. You have no right to take that from me. You have no right. I am, I am wonderful. I am great. How dare you do this to me? The world owes me. It's all about me. We just make people worse. Because insecurity and pride are the same, two sides of the same coin. It's all still self. And that's the problem. We're building up self-esteem. The problem is self. <laughs> Because what is self-esteem? It's what we estimate about ourselves. And so we get this esteeming of ourselves, right? So Ahab, he was controlled by others because he had this low insecurity. What does the Bible say? It says, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. So this comparing ourselves, that's esteeming. It's estimating. I'm estimating how am I doing? Comparing myself with myself. How am I doing today? What is my estimate of how I'm doing today? With how I did yesterday. Oh, I'm doing a little better today. Oh, I'm doing a little worse today. And so we go up and down on our feelings on how we're feeling today, how we think we're doing today, how others are saying we're doing today. 
And we compare ourselves with other people. We compare ourselves with one person. Oh, I'm better than them. And I'm starting to feel good about myself. I compare myself with someone else. And oh, I'm not as smart as them. Or I didn't get as good a grade as them. Or I don't, can't do as many things as them. And oh, now I'm feeling down about myself. And we go up and down and up and down and up and down through our lives as we continue to try and esteem ourselves. We constantly try to look in the mirror. And so this bolstering with this self-esteem counseling doesn't help. It doesn't work. It's actually contrary. The Bible tells us that the carnal nature, that self, is bad. It's corrupt. It's enmity against God. And cannot be cured. And cannot be helped. It needs to be crucified. It needs to die. The old nature needs to die. And so we don't need self-esteem. What we need is God-esteem. We need God worth. How does God esteem me? What is the worth that God places on me? God said regarding Yeshua, and he says the same thing regarding you and me. This is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called sons and daughters of God. He has adopted us. He has brought us into his home. He puts his name upon us. He marries us. He loves us with an everlasting. Before we were ever born, with our problems, with our shortcomings, he loves us and he builds us up. And day by day, he transforms us more and more back into his image, according to his original plan. Gives us his mind, his thoughts, comes into our hearts and lives, writes his laws on our hearts and minds, and begins to live in us and out of us. So how much are we worth? What is our esteem? It's all based on what's paid for you. How much is a baseball worth? If you went to a store and bought a baseball, how much is a baseball worth? few dollars, five dollars, right? People buy it for that, so that's what it's worth. People know one bought it for that, they'd lower the price. If they kept selling out every day, they'd raise the price, right? So they'd base the price on what people are paying for it. How much is a used one? If you went to Salvation Army, bought a used baseball, how much is a used baseball worth? Maybe a dollar, 50 cents, I don't know. How about a baseball that was hit as a home run, an important game, or important to somebody, and uh, broke some record of some popular baseball hitter, and he signed it for you, how much would that baseball, how much would that baseball be worth? Be worth absolutely nothing to me. I could care less about who hit it, what it is. It's a used ball. I mean, it got hit. That's all the hit is out of it now. It's been all beat up now. I don't want it. It means nothing to me. I don't care. They can run around the field and get paid millions. It means absolutely nothing. But to somebody, somebody who has too much money and doesn't know what to do with it, will pay a lot for it. And you can sell it, right? <laughs> if, I caught it if I found it on the road, yeah, you sell it. That's what it's worth. It's worth on whatever someone will pay for it. And so, how much are you worth? What was paid for you? 
God gave his most precious possession for you. He paid it all. Yeshua gave it all. And not just his life for three, uh, three days. If he would have lost in fighting for you, he would have lost his throne. He would have lost all the earth. He would have lost all of heaven. You are worth more than all of heaven to God. We become co-inheritors with him. Co-inheritors. That's what he says. So we inherit everything he has because he died. And so we, he's already the, the will has already been written. We inherit it all with him equally. The meek shall inherit the earth. New heavens and new earth. That's your value. And when we know that and believe that and eternalize that, nothing else matters. Doesn't matter what anyone else says, doesn't matter what anyone else thinks, it doesn't matter what anyone else did, doesn't matter what happened in the past. God loves me. God has eternity for me. Doesn't matter what we have here or don't have here, what we lost here, what we gained here, nothing matters. God will give us eternity in the new heavens and new earth with him and share it all with us. And when we keep that in mind, as Yeshua walked this earth, and when he was rejected, it didn't matter. When the multitudes followed him, it didn't matter. They want to make him king, it didn't matter. People thronging him, didn't, they didn't get proud over it. And when they all left him, even his disciples running from him, it didn't matter. It didn't bother. He didn't have the ups and downs because he kept on remembering. My father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He's going to bring me back and put me back on the throne. Nothing here matters. And nothing here matters for you or me either. As we keep our mind on him. Keep our eyes focused on him and the glory set before us. And know the price and the value we are in him. Thus we can be secure and whole and at peace and be able to be a blessing to others and revile not back, hate not back. You know, pity on those who are not experiencing it. Pity on those who are not experiencing that joy, who are not secure, who are, not, who are trying to puff themselves up, trying to make themselves important. We can have that inner joy and that inner peace that passes understanding. It can't be explained in a psychological book on worldly terms. It can't be understood by people who don't know the love of God. It passes human reasoning. It's heavenly and it's glorious. And that's why the best that they can do here is blame someone else and try and build up your self-worth, your self-esteem. But God has so much more and is so much better and so much more healing and permanent healing. So we saw Elijah and 
Ahab, they both went through depression. Elijah came out of it because he accepted God's love on a continual basis. Ahab chose it for a time, but then rejected it. Could have had it as well. God loved Ahab just as much as he loved Elijah. That same offer was there for him as well. And it's there for us as well. What is our choice? We're going to lay hold of it and accept it. Whether we're accepted, rejected, whether we're lifted up or cast down. We're able to walk with the Lord hand in hand with him and be at peace. Or will we let the world control us and manipulate us? The choices are just it was for Elijah and Ahab. We get to choose. Ahab's other problem was desiring more. He coveted the neighbor's vineyard. He wanted more than he had. He was king, but he still wanted more. It's like the person who says, I don't want all the land, just the property next to mine. Well, of course, with that reasoning, when the property next to his become his, well, then the property next to that is next to his, and he'll want that as well. And then that one becomes his, and they'll want the next one until eventually you want the whole world. And that's why the Bible says the empty heart, the carnal heart, the selfish heart, like a fire, it never gets satisfied. It'll keep burning and burning and burning until there's nothing left. It's always got room for more. Like the grave always has room for more. We'll never get enough. We need to be at peace and we need to be at content and accept what God has given to us, trusting in him, walking in him. As Paul said from a dungeon, I'm not saying this because I am in need for whatever circumstance I am in, I have learned to be content. I know what it is to live with humble means, and I know what it is to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of contentment, both to be filled and to go hungry, to have abundance and to suffer need. I can do all things through the Messiah who strengthens me. The secret to contentment, the secret of contentment. It's a secret that no one knows. It's a secret that no one has without God. Messiah gives us contentment. Be content in him, secure in him, at peace with him. And we won't need a spouse or a dog to give us some pleasure or to meet our, try to meet our need because they'll never be able to meet our needs. We'll be at peace with God. He will be able to meet our every need according to his riches and glory. Our emotional needs, spiritual needs, our social needs, our physical needs, our financial needs, he'll meet all our needs according to his riches and glory. We can be content in him. And Paul was in a prison, a dungeon. Probably rats and mice and cockroaches and Spiders crawling over him while he's sleeping. Chained to a wall, damp, mildew, dirty, filthy. Maybe just some hay for a bed. Getting whatever food would be brought into him from friends. No light, no exercise. But he learned to be content. 
from that same prison said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, Rejoice! Able to really be content with having and not having. Doesn't matter. We can be content. We can be at peace. We can be happy. And when we're experiencing that, then God can entrust us to some spouse or someone else. And when we're at peace with Him, when we're filled with Him, when we're connected with Him, when we're in love with Him, when we've received His love. Each of us can have that and have it to overflowing. So if you are discontent over your circumstances or feeling you are lacking, that God has not provided for all your needs, give those feelings over to God. Confess them as selfish and doubting. Accept the Messiah's sacrifice for the forgiveness and accept the power of the Holy Spirit to give you faith and contentment. So in a moment when we pray, if that applies to you, you can do that. Surrender the selfishness and doubting. Accept his forgiveness and accept his power through his Holy Spirit of faith and contentment. If you're allowing yourself to be controlled by others or riding on their emotions, ask God to give you the courage to mentally and physically, if necessary, break away from their control and to be led only by God. Accept your inestimable worth in God's great love for you. And so if that applies to you, in a moment when we pray, ask God to give you the strength to mentally, emotionally be set free. And then again, if necessary, to be physically set free. And not be controlled by others. Third, if you're stuck in doubt and despair because of past wrong choices, Resolved by God's grace to accept God's forgiveness and his power to change. Right? Maybe we've made mistakes like Ahab. We saw Elijah made mistakes. Accept the forgiveness. Confess it. Give it over to the Lord. Allow him to change you. If wrongs were done to you in the past, surrender it to the Lord. Allow the Lord to cover it. Allow him to choose how he wants to deal with it. Allow the Lord to change you. Give your mind a new mind, to give you new thoughts and new pattern. If you're insecure, find security in him. Accept his worth of you. If you've been trying to build yourself up, stop and let God build you up. Let God's worth be upon you. If any of those hours apply to you, let's take a moment, or maybe some other area God's been speaking to your heart and mind about as we looked at this story of how God's been leading you in your life. Let's let God do his powerful work in our hearts and minds. Let us pray together. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we give you permission to rule over our hearts and our minds and our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you know the end from the beginning. You know what's best. You've seen everything, all the expanse of history, and you know what's best for us. You know the plans you have for us, plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Lord, we ask that you give us faith to believe that. We surrender being our own gods, being our own Lord. We surrender trying to manipulate you and trying to control you and telling you what to do. 
Lord, we give you permission to take us by the hand and lead us in your ways, even if it's not in the way we think is best, but we give you permission to lead us in a way that you know is best. Thank you, Lord, for loving us with an everlasting love. Thank you for loving us more than everything and anything in this universe. Thank you for paying that high price for us. Thank you, Yeshua, for laying down your life, eternal life upon us. Thank you for the promise of heaven and the new heavens and the new earth. Thank you for sustaining us here. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Give us the power to change. Recreate us into your image. Live in us and out of us and make us a blessing. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.